Blog Talk Radio. Hey everyone, and welcome to the Carrie Edelman Radio Show. And I'm extremely excited tonight as we have the author Michael Latagona coming on in a moment to talk about his book, If I Was President of the USA, From an Average American Joe. And I'm going to get into a little bit of an introduction in a moment for him. It's an amazing book. Everyone needs to check it out. Please go to Amazon.com, and we're going to talk all about this book tonight and what he would do differently if he was president of the USA. So if you're tuning in tonight, please create a Blog Talk Radio account by going to blogtalkradio.com. You can also join us in the chat room. Uh, Unfortunately, I am a one-person show, so I'll do my best to go back and forth between the various windows I have open. But um, please feel free to call in if you want to ask any questions or make any comments. It's uh, 805-243-1320. I also have it posted in the chat room as well as it is on the main page for the radio show. So I always like to do a brief introduction for anyone new tuning into my show tonight for the first time. I started the show approximately, I guess, a year and three-ish plus months ago with the concept in mind of really doing something good out there to support people in the entertainment industry and people doing interesting things such as authors, filmmakers, to really uh, provide a forum to bring people on and help spread their names and who they are to everyone in the world. Um, I know personally how difficult it can be. I manage everything that I do on my own. Um, I'm a clinical psychologist full-time. That's what I have my doctorate degree in. And then on the side, I do my radio show. I'm a singer-songwriter with a full-length album out, as well as I'm in the process of collaborating with new musicians. So if anyone's out there and is looking for a female artist, please contact me. And I'm also doing some writing some magazines on psychology and the entertainment industry with more of an advertising and marketing perspective to help people uh, get their names out there. So I just want to thank everyone for their support. The show has just been going really well, and it's just been such a pleasure interviewing so many amazing people and uh, actually becoming very close friends with some of them, too. So it's just a pleasure to be there to support people. So I'm going to show you you're going to get a really good taste of what these people's lives are like, what it's like to be in their profession. A couple of things I just kindly request people keep in mind is, uh, although I'm a psychologist, my show is meant for entertainment purposes only, and it's not a show that does any type of uh, formal therapy or treatment. Um, If people have questions, we can talk about things in broad, generic topics, but it's not going to be personalized to anyone. And I know uh, tonight Mike's book could could be laden with uh, psychological uh, concepts or perspectives, and maybe we'll talk about some of them, but uh, we're going to keep it focused more so on uh, him and what he's looking to do. And also, if anyone wants to talk about any embarrassing, humiliating stories, I'm a huge fan of comedy, please feel free to share them, but just keep any identifying information out, uh, such as specific names of persons, organizations, etc., because I don't want to personally humiliate or embarrass anyone. Okay, so um, Michael Latagona, let me tell you a little bit about him. He has such an interesting background, and uh, he's going to share that with us tonight. Um, He's a registered nurse, and he was a former independent candidate for governor of New Jersey, And um, he's going to share with us tonight his experiences and just he worked with so many amazing people when he was running for governor. And the main thing that really he hones in on is the fact that he was doing that all without taking any money from people. And it's a really um, interesting and very commendable concept that he was doing there. So he'll fill us in on that. Um, So he continues to enjoy that aspect. He wants to sincerely run for president, and he's going to tell us about that tonight. And something I want people to keep in mind is, you know, just think about it as the audience. If you were president, what would you do differently? You know, what would you 
want to really hone in on, and, and he's going to talk about his perspective tonight. So I just want people to keep that in mind. So um, over the years, Michael has also been featured in publications such as the Wall Street Journal, U.S. Airways Magazine. He's appeared on numerous radio stations for many of his past endeavors. And tonight, as we mentioned, we're going to be promoting his book. Please, you can check it out on Amazon. And you can also go to ifiwerepresidentoftheusa.com to get more information on his book. So I'm going to bring him on in one second. I do want to give a plug and a thank you to uh, Tim Louie of the Aquarian Magazine. And uh, he's also an author himself, uh, a little bit of a different author, of a book titled Shit Happens. He was on my show. Please check out his podcast. He's hysterical. And the book, extremely entertaining. So if you want to read about um, embarrassing, humiliating experiences of people who unfortunately did not make it to the bathroom in time, pick up Tim's book, Hysterical. Love it. So uh, his is also on uh, Amazon.com. So thanks again to Tim for referring Michael Latagona to the show tonight. So I just want to also mention that this show tonight, I think it's going to be interesting in the sense that it's not talking about particular political views or religious views or categorizing people. And I think that's what Michael and I actually really want to hone in on, is that it's really talking about bringing Americans together. How can we work together? How can we create you know, the greatest country that we already live in and make it better. And that's what we're talking about here tonight. His book really illustrates a common-sense approach to numerous topics and areas and things that we can do better in this world that, unfortunately, haven't been doing well for a while. So we just want people to keep that in mind. This is not a show about political views. It's not a show about religion or categorizing people. It's really a show about making the world better, and making us come together as a team, as Americans. So with that being said, let's bring Michael on. Hey, Michael, how are you? I'm doing great, Carrie. How are you? Good, good. I hope that was a good introduction. Oh, that was a great introduction. Thank you so very much, and it was perfect. It really was. Thank you. Well, you you did some help with me on the side, so I appreciate your input and uh, guidance. So we should. Oh, well, thank you very much. <laughs> Cool. So, um, yes, I think let's talk a little bit to start out just about who you are as a person. Tell us a little bit about, you know, what you were like growing up so we can kind of delve into the various sides of yourself, including being a nurse and now going into business. And, of course, we're going to go into uh, being a politician. So, um, yeah, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, like you said, I'm a registered nurse. I've been a registered nurse for 17 years. I do critical care and emergency room nursing. Uh, and about uh, five years ago, I also opened up, believe it or not, a hair salon. Uh, so uh, that's doing very, very well. We're even looking at opening a second location. Uh, grew up uh, actually in, well, I was born in Philadelphia and Falkroft, Pennsylvania. And, and um, we moved over to Cherry Hill, New Jersey uh, when I was like in first grade. And I pretty much grew up in Cherry Hill. Uh, four brother, Three brothers and a sister. Uh, okay. So I come from a pretty big family, and uh, just you know, just kind of putting away in life. Um, you know, I love being a nurse, uh, but I also love the law. But I just you know, ethically can't be a lawyer, <laughs> right? <laughs> because <laughs> I because agree I have with that ethics. One. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So um, that's why I decided to go into law, and um, you know, I just I, I like to try uh, interesting new things. Uh, so that's basically where I'm at right now is, uh, you know, uh, I got accidentally thrust into running for governor of New Jersey. Um, you know, I just published this book about four months ago. And mm-hmm. uh, and like you said, and you said it perfectly, it's about Americans coming together as a people first. 
mm-hmm. and that's what I, I hope that I can show people with this book. It's you know not your typical political book. This is a book for average Americans because I'm just an average guy. I've never been in office before. Um, and so, you know, I want people to be able to relate to this book as if they were president because every person asks themselves when they see the president on TV and he says something, everybody says, you know, if I was president, I would do this or that. Right, and right. So, you know, I mean, we've all said it, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, I decided to write a book. Well, if I was president, this is what I would do. Okay. So let's just digress a little bit. When did you, um, what year did you run for governor? When was that? Uh, I ran in 2005 against uh, uh, ex-governor Corzine uh, and uh, Forrester. Um, wow. It was a yeah, it was a great experience. Um, I, and I, I accidentally got thrust into it by an article. Uh, by I actually wrote an opinion to the Courier Post in New Jersey. Um, I was a little frustrated with uh, a Supreme Court decision that happened. Uh, you see, in New Jersey, uh, basically, uh, the law states that if you uh, are, if you want to withdraw from a campaign as a Democrat, Republican, or any other, um, mm-hmm. you have to do, you can't do, you have to do so b- before the 30-day mark of the election. Uh, if you want to resign on, on, you know, the 28th day before the election, you cannot be replaced. Uh, we had a senator, uh, our U.S. Senator, Torricelli, who was caught up in a corruption scandal. He was a Democrat. And uh, I believe it was day 28, uh, they presented him in front of the Supreme Court because the Democrats wanted he wanted to resign because ethically uh, he knew he was in trouble and he was losing the election to Brett Schundler, uh, who was the Republican uh, at the time. And so the Democrats wanted to replace him because they knew they were going to lose. So okay. on the twenty, so on the 28th day, they went in front of the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court said, of course, all democratically appointed Supreme Court justices turned around and said, oh, well, you know, yes, the Democrats need to be represented, so we'll just shuck the law this time, and, and this one time you can replace them. And, of course, now we have U.S. <laughs> it was crazy. So we have, now we have U.S. Senator Frank Lautenberg, who was the former senator, who ended up becoming our current U.S. senator, who is still currently in office. Um, that kind of frustrated me so much because the law is very clear. I mean, if we don't have laws and we don't follow our laws, then, and mm-hmm. even the highest courts in our state don't follow our laws, then the law is useless. So I wrote an angry letter to the Career Post where basically it was just I wanted people to know, you know, we're not Democrats, we're not Republicans, we're all New Jerseyans first. And if we all came together, we could easily fix our woes. Um, and so that's basically what I stated. And at the end, I made a complete joke. I, I was absolutely joking. I said, it was about two weeks before the election, I said, with that in mind, I'd like to run as a writing candidate for U.S. Senate, and I put my email address down. Okay. Well, lo and behold, first off, I didn't think the Courier Post would publish my opinion, and they did. And then I got inundated with hundreds of emails from New Jerseyans telling me, you're exactly wow. what we need. How do I vote for you? Um, oh, my you God, know, that's amazing. So it was just a complete accident that it happened. Uh, and people, I believe, actually voted for me for U.S. Senate that year. So that's wow. what put me on my journey to running for office. Um, people would say to me, well, you should run for office. You should run for mayor. You should run for state assembly. Uh, but I have a problem with that. And the problem is I'm kind of a I want to get it done kind of guy. And uh, I, I picture myself, you know, if I'm running for mayor of, of let's say, Cherry Hill, well, that's great. I can do some things, but it's not going to solve the big problems, the statewide mm-hmm. problems that we're all looking to solve. So then people say, well, why don't you run for state assembly or state senate? 
Well, I could see myself being in the state senate or assembly, and I'd be on some committee, and I'd introduce some legislation to, let's say, deregulate auto insurance. And the committee would look at it, they'd laugh at me, and they'd rip up the bill that would never make it to the floor, and I'd be a failed politician because I would be the guy that's bucking the system. So I said, okay, well, you know, on New Year's Eve of, I think it was like 2003 or four, um, my uh, friend who wanted to be my campaign manager said, Mike, have you decided what you want to do? And I said, yeah, I did. I want to run for governor. And the whole party just stopped and died. (laughs) They're like, what, (laughs) what? (laughs) So, and that's kind of how it happened. So, so, you know, so tell uh, us, no. as you're talking about it, tell us a little bit about, and I thought it was, in, you know, I thought it was interesting in, as I was reading more about you that, and, you know, I have to personally agree, I like your approach where you are more in the independent realm, um, and as we said, this is about Americans, we're not going to be talking about sectioning people and, you know, putting people into boxes and categorizing them, but I do like that aspect, and tell us a little bit about, as you're talking, how you got hooked up with uh, Governor Justine Ventura's campaign manager, Doug Friedline, if I pronounce that correctly. Doug I don't know if I did. Okay. Yeah. Um, no, no, you, it was perfect. Um, Doug, what happened was, is um, you know, I didn't know really how to run for office, uh, you know, but of course I love the law. I've always researched the law. People read Harry Potter, they read Fifty Shades of Grey. I read Supreme Court <laughs> decisions. You know, um, I I just love the law. I just can't be a lawyer. So basically, I researched it myself with a couple friends of mine, and we figured out how to run for governor, how to register with our election officials, and how to get the Mm -hmm. job done. Um, You know, I prayed to God a lot, and I said, you know, God, what path do you want to put me on to get me there? And and, uh, I'd say, I need to get on the ballot. I need to get these signatures. And boom, I'd have a group of people in front of me who would help me. So it just kind of all pulled itself together. So as I was running for the campaign, Doug Friedline, uh, who, uh, of course, you know, was Jesse Ventura's campaign manager in Minnesota uh, mm-hmm. and actually and had his successful run for governor, he had heard about me, and uh, we ended up uh, uh, kind of reaching out to each other uh, because I was looking for a little bit more professional experience. And um, so through a friend, I guess, we just kind of connected, and um, in the last month of my campaign, um, he came down and he uh, started helping me. Um, he just thought ethically I was I, I was the right candidate. Uh, he nice. liked everything that he heard, and um, and the one thing I can say that Doug did, and this was truly amazing to me, you know, I didn't win the election, but I did beat three candidates, and I didn't take a penny from anybody. Yeah, and um, please, which, please, Mike, at some point tie that in because I think that is just so fascinating, and that's a big part of your you know book that we'll be talking about later with the age of entitlement and all that type of stuff. But yeah, please somehow tie in how the heck he did this without getting money. I mean, so, yeah, so go ahead. Well, because basically I would tell people, you know, when I was running for governor, and it's the same concept on a national level, um, you know, we're all Americans first. We're all New Jerseyans first. My slogans were Democrats, Republicans, and Independents coming together as New Jerseyans first. One people, one state, one New Jersey. And so um, as we were doing this campaign, when I would talk to people, I would tell people actually wanted to give me money. I mean, don't get me wrong. People were trying to throw money my way. And I just kept saying, no, I've never run for office before, let alone I'm running for the highest office in our state. Please, just do me a favor. If you're going to do anything, vote for me. Tell your family to vote for me. Tell your friends to vote for me because that's what it's about. It's about the Mm -hmm. vote. It's not about the money. And I want to represent the people. Uh, You know, nobody can tell me 
that when a company says, you know, hey, listen, John Doe, we're going to give you a million dollars to your campaign, that there is not an expectation of support for that company right. or the legislation they want passed. Right. You know, I don't, I don't care who you are. I mean, you're, you're being bought for that vote, and I, that, I right. do not want to do that, and I never want to do that in my life. Um, so basically, I didn't take the money, but I got people to vote for me, and I ended up having about an 89% approval rating, which still astounds me to this day. Um, wow. If I talk to you, I got your vote. Mm-hmm. You know, because it was all about common sense and uniting people. I'm not a Democrat. I'm not a Republican. I'm an American. I'm your brother and sister. We all live in this land together. So Doug Friedline realized that we pretty much had a long shot at winning. Um, okay. So what what he did was something really unique, and it was pretty fun. Um, I had a very comprehensive web page. So when you would go to the Democrat or Republicans, you would understand some of their positions. Uh, but like the Green Party, they had one page. The Libertarians had one page. My page, if you went to it, I had the actual executive orders I would sign into office once I got there. Wow. I had every. I actually had every opinion uh, of of what I would do from agricultural and fisheries all the way down to senior and health services. Uh, you knew where I stood on these issues. Uh, mm-hmm. But what was interesting is, is I would do a uh, uh, a little something on the front page on a pretty much like an every other day basis. I would talk about a different topic. And what Jesse happened to notice was is that my common sense approaches were being picked up by Forrester and Corzine. So when I would post something up on my web page, they would address the issue. It kind of forced them to address the issue because it was so much common sense that it's really hard to fight common sense. Right. <laughs> so what we, you know, so what we ended up doing for the last month was posting issues up on the web page and watching as Forrester and Corazine would post the same issues on their web page, and we ended up funny. We we ended up kind of dictating the conversation, a conversation they did not want to have, and um, so I feel like I did a, a great service for New Jerseyans, and I feel like I was still a success for a guy who's never done it before. I think I did a great job. Absolutely. Um, you know, did I win? No. Would I have liked to have won? Sure, I would have liked to have won. But, you know, I would have, you know, I just, when you never do it before, you have to see if people are going to believe in you. Well, that's the thing, and, Mike. I mean, just the fact that you had the motivation and the willingness to just put yourself out there, like you said, having no background in terms of doing something like this, it's amazing. I mean, you did a huge thing, even though, like you said, you didn't win. It doesn't matter. You did a huge well, thing and you got a lot of attention for people that were interested in what you wanted to do. Yeah, and I think I think every American should know that, you know, if you just have some good old-fashioned common sense, you could run for office and be successful. And, uh, it, you know, it takes will, it takes energy, and it takes a lot of sweat equity from people around you. Um, I mean, it is a hard, hard work to get there. Um, mm-hmm. you, you know, I, I know that firsthand, but it can be done. It can be done by anybody. Um and I think that we're starting to see some of that with the Tea Partiers out there um, and, and so forth. But even the Tea Partiers and the people who are getting elected into office are st- still have these political backgrounds. They still, um, you know, are still playing the party politics and the divisiveness. And, you know, and I just want to get away from that because we need to. I mean, we're Americans. Um, people need to understand, real simply, that, you know, we're not Democrats, we're not Republicans. We are Americans first. Now, anyone who's listening to your show who right now can answer in their head that they're a Democrat or Republican, 
I say two things. One, you've already given me a visual picture of who you are. Okay, if you say you're, you know, I mean, if you say you're a Democrat. Wait, wait, I'm laughing because I'm a psychologist, so we we won't go there right now. But right, 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 go ahead. (laughs) All right, so everybody has a preconceived notion. If you say you're a Democrat, everybody has an assumption of what that means. If you say you're a Republican, they have an assumption of that, too. Mm -hmm. So the thing is, is that our leaders all are trying to fight for power and control, control of the money control of money to their base, and control of power. And as a result of that, it's a lot easier to divide a nation of people up into into pieces so that right. they can pick you off, keep you fighting, and, you know, not try to get everybody on the same page. Right. Uh, you know, and, and, and I think we need to look beyond that. Um, so I will say to anybody out there who puts themselves into a class of Democrat, Republican, or, you know, however you want, conservative, liberal, however you want to put yourself, if a bomb dropped right next to you and you got hurt right now and I'm standing there as a registered nurse and I run up to you and say, sir, you're hurt, I'd like to help you, are you going to say, no, don't help me, I'm a Republican? Or you're not a Republican, I am. You know, are you going to say, um, if I look at you and say, uh, sir, do you need my help? You're going to say, well, are you gay or straight? No, right. you're going to want my help. <laughs> right. You know, are you going to say, oh, wait, no, are you liberal or conservative? I can only have a conservative help me. <laughs> no, you're going to want my help. You know, we're all Americans first. Right. So if we could just put, put aside those divides, just throw them away for a few minutes and just say I'm simply an American first. If we can get Americans to do that and have that starting point, then we can start to look at issues and we can start to build upon the facts that we're all Americans. Because the bottom line is nations come and they go. It's a part of our history. It's a fact. The Roman Empire is no longer here. Russia, the USSR, was so big, now it's a little nothingness of itself. Countries come and they go. And America is only 200 years old. And America is not going to survive if we continue to divide ourselves up and fight against each other. Blacks against whites, liberals against conservatives, rich against poor Enough. Mm-hmm. We have to stop. We have to take a breath, stop, and say, you are my American brother. I don't care whether you're rich or poor. I you agree. Know, I, don't care, I don't care whether you're gay or straight. Listen, if I'm sitting there half, half dying, I don't care if you're a flaming queen and you want to come up and help me. If you're willing to help me, hey, I'm your brother. Help me. Right. You know, and, right. and that's what I want Americans to understand first and foremost among all things. Okay. So let's do this because I want to, like, segue into the book. So if you want to pose a question for people to think about, I'm just going to do a quick break where I'm going to just throw out some plugs for some people that I support and support the show, and then we'll come back and we'll really get into uh, talking about the book. Excellent. All right. So is there anything Mm -hmm. you want to pose for the audience? Any question before we take a break so they can maybe think a little bit about some of the things we're going to address? Well, I just posed to them the first thing that that's the most important thing for them to think about is do you need to classify yourself as a Democrat or a Republican, as a liberal or a conservative, or black or white or yellow or brown? Do you, and, and let's just start with that question first. Okay, great. All right, so everyone ponder that, think about that, and uh, we'll be back in a moment. I'm just going to put you on hold, Mike. I'll do the quick plugs, and I'll bring you right back on. Mm-hmm. Thanks. All right, everyone, again, you're listening to the author and uh, registered nurse also, Michael Latagona. 
talking about his book, If I Were President of the USA. And again, you can also uh, check it out at um, ifiwerepresidentoftheusa.com, as well as you can go to Amazon. So please check out the book. We're going to talk about it in a moment. I want to give a few plugs out there to supporters of this show as well as people I support. Uh, the first person I want to give a plug to is, well, not first. There's really no order here. Um, IROC TV. Uh, check them out, irocktv.co, and it's just the letter I, rocktv.co. It's an amazing website. Um, they specifically promote independent artists, so please check them out for music, up-and-coming events. They're going to be launching a magazine in September, so it's really cool stuff going on there, and they've been a great support. They're always plugging my show, so I definitely have to throw a plug out for them. Also, Flirt Energy Drinks. So if you are a female athlete out there, they're also expanding their line, but it was specifically launched as an energy drink for the female athlete, and that's what the energy drink is tailored towards. So check them out at flirtdrink.com. They just came out with a whole new um, drink in terms of some of the ingredients have been revamped and changed, and it's just been such a pleasure working with uh, them too. One of my songs off my debut album, Leave It All Behind, is used to um, endorse and promote the product. And then I also want to give a plug to, I'm a huge fan of comedy, um, Davin's Den, which is a fast-paced podcast featuring comedians Davin Rosenblatt, Joe Curry, and Pip Helix. So if you're looking for a show that can make you think and laugh at the same time, then Davin's Den is the show for you. They go live Tuesday nights at 6.30 p.m. Eastern Time to watch live episodes here or watch old episodes. Or to find out more about the show, go to Davin's Den page on davincomedy.com, and it's spelled D-A-V-I-N comedy.com. All right, so let's bring Mike back on now. And if I forgot anyone, I'll do some more plugs at the end of the show. Okay, Mike, you're back. Okay. All right, so let's uh, get into, like, again, however you want to, you know, craft the rest of the interview in terms of what you want to focus on. And I don't want to give too much of the book away because I really want people to uh, check it out themselves. Because I think every person is going to have their own perspective by looking at this book and I personally loved it um, I'm not a politician by any means I don't really get involved in politics but it was a very like you said common sense approach everything you could read the average lay person can understand um, so I just thought it was really well written um, so yeah great job thank you thank you very much um, I wrote the book that way on purpose um, you know, well, real Thomas quick, Paine. real quick, before you, I'm sorry to disrupt you, um, interrupt you, but before you, why did you want to write this book? So when did you, just to give us a little background of when did you get the inspiration and you're like, you know what, i got to write this book. What kind of drove you to do that? Well, I, I wrote the book because, uh, honestly, I mean, I, I'm just so tired as an American citizen to turn on the TV and, and listen to, to our leaders just rip apart this nation. Mm-hmm. And and I say to myself, gosh, this could be so easy that we could fix this nation so well and everybody can benefit from the poorest to the richest. And I just get so frustrated. I'm actually almost disenfranchised as an American citizen. I mean, in, in reality, you know, I, I think other nations look at us and, and they laugh. You know, uh, we are a strong people. We are a great nation. We are the greatest mm-hmm. nation that, that this planet has ever seen. But I am so tired of hearing the rhetoric. And, and, and what's worse, which makes it even worse, is I'm really tired that everybody acknowledges it, 
but nobody wants to come together to fix it. And I'm not just talking about our leaders. I'm talking about our American citizens as well. And half of that problem is education. People don't understand how easy it could be to fix because nobody's really presented them with easy solutions. And mm-hmm. so that's kind of that's what kind of inspired me with the book to say, you know what, you know, Thomas Paine wrote a paper. It was called Common Sense. And anyone with good old-fashioned common sense is going to do a great job, whether it's in business, whether it's in government, wherever it is in your life. If you have good old-fashioned common sense, you're going to do well. Now, uh, Thomas Paine wrote this paper called Common Sense. Common Sense was written so simply so that the average person could understand why we needed to break away from the British crown. It was that paper that gave us the reason to go into the Revolutionary War. It rallied the general populace to say, yes, we need to go into this, we need to break away from the British. That's what I wanted to do with this book. I wanted it to be written so simply that if you had no political experience whatsoever, through a lot of storytelling, that you would Mm -hmm. understand what we need to do in order to fix our nation. And you would be able to understand it. You'd be able to say, wow, I can totally relate with that. So that even if we were opposed on certain issues, if you put a common sense approach on those issues, you'll find that we will absolutely agree by the end of that common sense conversation. Because common sense trumps everything. If you've got good old-fashioned common sense, I don't care how much you disagree on something, you're going to end up on the same page. You're going to end up at the same location. And from there, you can start to make headway and start to make change. So that's what I wanted to set out to achieve with this book, was to represent common sense to the American people, but common sense in a way that unites us all as Americans and stops dividing us up into all these classes and, and political divisions and, you know, and, and everything else. And also to speak some hard truths about entitlement and uh, how we are just falling off the cliff because everybody's so concerned about themselves, they're not right. concerned about a nation. So let's, let's, uh, and, let's, uh, let's transition as you're talking into your chapter, which everyone out there I loved. Um, and unfortunately I loved it because I can relate it to many aspects of either the entertainment industry or I work in a prison too. So, I mean, but what was interesting, like when you title it Age of Entitlement, you know, just the narcissism and this, this grandiosity and people feel that, you know, as you're saying, they're entitled to everything. And, um, exactly. Yeah, go on. Talk a little bit about, you know, your perspective with your book and well, that aspect. Well, I want people to understand that, again, we are a nation, and nations come and they go. And instead of looking at yourself, you know, everybody's so worried about, you know, oh, i got to get my kid this, my kid's got to have that, or uh, I deserve to have welfare. <laughs> I deserve to have, uh, you know, different, you know, uh, uh, electric and gas allowances. I deserve to have all of these government benefits. I deserve food stamps. Well, you know, people work really, really hard. And mm-hmm. when people are down and out in their luck, we should absolutely be there for them, you know, especially even in this recession. Totally. But we also need to get people to be responsible for themselves. America is the land of the free. You work hard, you earn. You reap what you sow. And people are no longer sowing, and, and, but yet they're still reaping. Right. And, <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, and the government just keeps saying, vote for me and I'll increase your welfare benefits. Vote for me and I'll extend unemployment for two years. They don't give you, you know, you have to be able to go out there and survive. 
Nobody's going to survive for you. You have to live your life, but you have to make a path for yourself. And every American has the opportunity to do that. And the ones that have not been given the proper opportunities to do that, we need mm-hmm. to provide opportunity. Absolutely. You know, and, and, and that, you know, listen, we are only as strong as our weakest link. And if we have a weak link, it needs to be fixed. And that weak link is poverty. That weak link is entitlements. That weak link is getting people to understand, you know, let's make our own bread. Let's make our own washing machines and our own dryers and our own refrigerators. Stop outsourcing this stuff to to China and to other nations. And if we start producing ourselves, we'll have jobs. We'll have manufacturing jobs. We could put every American to work. But, again, the corporations, you know, they want to – their bottom, you know, line is for profits. And when they want to profit, they're going to, you know, have that call center in India so that when you call up, Say Dell Corporation, one of my experiences that I had, and you get a guy mm-hmm. on the phone that you can't even understand a word that he's saying, uh, you know, and all you're looking to do is buy a new keyboard. <laughs> you right, know, right, it's right. It's very frustrating. Right. Uh, and I use that as one of my examples in my book. I mean, it, it, so, you know, we need to get back to that. And we need to get people to understand that, you know, you're not the only one in the United States. Uh, yes, it is your life, but do you want to continue to live in poverty? Do you, you know, I don't think anybody truly wants to live in poverty. I think what everybody yeah. wants is an opportunity. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. we have people. I live 30 miles away from the murder capital of the United States, Camden, New Jersey. Wow. You know, and there are drugs, there's crime, there's all kinds of things. But you know what? I don't think people want to live like that. And I don't think people really, you know, want to say, I want welfare. And, oh, I want the, you know, food stamps, and I want this. I think if they actually had a viable opportunity to go out and and earn it, they would much rather do that. They'd much rather have a house. You know, we can agree on a couple things. Do you want a house? Yeah. You want a house? (laughs) You do. Okay, good. So do I. Do you want a car? Yes, I'd like a car to drive. (laughs) Absolutely. Would you like a job? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Would you like to have a nice retirement account? Sure. Would you like Would you like health care? Definitely. All right. So we all want the same things. So why can't we come together as a people and help each other, provide each other with those things, but in a way where you can do that self-sufficiently without having to suck off the system? You know, there are just uh, so many people who are on entitlements and um, – and like I said, those who, you know, when you're in, you've worked hard all your life and you end up getting laid off, we should absolutely provide and help those oh, definitely. people. Definitely. Mm-hmm. But providing lifelong entitlements to anybody is ridiculous. <clears throat> you know, right. and so we have become an entitled society. And uh, and that even goes with children. You know, I mean, my gosh, I go to McDonald's. I can't get a good morning or hello. It's what do you want? Um, right. where's the Where's the respect these days? Um, you know, uh, we're not teaching the morals and the values we need to. Uh, they're not being taught in the home, and they're not being taught in the school system. And I'm You're sorry. You're exactly right. You're, I, yeah. I, I want to give my own it, example, but go ahead. Talk. <laughs> <laughs> well, if your kid goes to school, nobody can tell me that a school is not a babysitter. They're there for eight hours a day, five days a week. Right. All right? Now, that school should have a responsibility to teach kids morals, values, and ethics, as well as the parents. It is the parents' responsibility to make sure those lessons get taught, but a school could certainly go out and teach what it means to go out and get a job and have a work ethic and mm-hmm. teach, you know, to say, 
hello, Mr. So-and-so, and respect the teacher because the teacher's got a job to do and they're there for you, to educate you so you can be a better human being and a better American citizen, you know. But these, you know, we've got kids running rampant. They're out of control. I look at the TV and I see all of these reality shows, the Kardashians, and this and that. And what do we? I do know, and unfortunately, Mike, I know. I hate to say this, but unfortunately, when I get home from prison, I like to watch them because I just, again, because I love the personality disorders, and I'm so not like that. I can just like sit there and laugh for a few minutes and say, how the heck do these people live like this? So. I don't endorse those shows, but I have to say I do find them entertaining. <laughs> well, you know, honestly, out of all those shows that I watch, that are on there, I do have to say the Kardashians is pretty funny. Yeah, um, but I look at but I look at the Jersey Shore, and I say to oh. myself, my oh. gosh, look at what we're rewarding. We're right. rewarding right. these idiots, you know, with millions of dollars, I know. so that they can I make know. bigger fools of themselves, and then they can teach all of the kids out there how they can be fools, too, and that it's okay. And if you act like a fool, maybe you'll get a million dollars, too. I agree. And That's it, not good. It, it's not good. You know, there's a difference between having a reality show and having some fun because you're watching a family and their their dysfunction. And even as a nurse who's worked in psych, you know, uh, you know okay, yes, that can be funny. Uh, but you know what? People are thriving on other people's pain, yeah. you know, and people are thriving on other people's stupidity. And that's kind of got to stop. You know, right. but I mean, it is America. It is what it is. If you want to watch that show, you know, <laughs> go to it. <laughs> well, I think as you're talking, though, I think an important point that you can tie in from your book is, you know, as you're talking about making opportunities for people, which I think is so important. And I think, like you're saying, I don't think people would want to mooch as much off the system if they were given the opportunities and people were, you know, shown that you can do this. You know what I mean? And then Absolutely. people start getting self-esteem, and they can believe in themselves, and, hey, look, I can get a job, and I can whatever it is that you're doing. So talk Absolutely. a little bit about your trickle-up theory, because I think that would well, tie in perfectly to what you're talking about with trying to build people up and start this whole process of getting them to the point that they can have a job and health insurance and all that other good stuff. Oh, yeah. Well, absolutely. Um, and, you know, when you talk about the trickle-up theory, uh, the trickle-up theory really is, uh, you know, I have a unique way of looking at a problem. See, most most people problem-solve this way. Uh, their car breaks down, so now they can't get to work. They have to call a mechanic real fast. they got to try to scramble to get it fixed. The mechanic's going to charge them twice as much money because it's a Sunday. And, you know, so it causes you a lot of pain and aggravation, you know, just to get that car fixed. Whereas... What if you maintained your car so that it wouldn't break down? Mm-hmm. Then you wouldn't have to go into crisis. You know, and that's, you know, and that's kind of how I always think. So we, I always, here. This is a funny example. I mean, and it's it's not the same thing, but in a way, it is. Like one of my friends was laughing at me because I go to the dentist actually every quarter, like every three months. Because sure. by going, it prevents me from getting other things that are going to a cost the system more money, cost my insurance more money in the end, and people are like, why would you do that? I'm like, because it's preventative care. If if my dentist recommends I do this, I'd rather spend this money right now than tens of thousands of dollars down the road because I didn't take care of myself. Oh, yeah, and who wants to get their teeth drilled? Oh, my gosh, the dentist is like one of my most feared kind of things. Please. (laughs) (laughs) But like you said, that's the perfect example. Like you're saying, maintain the car so it doesn't get to the point that it's totally broken down, and now you got to fix the whole entire thing or get a new car. Exactly, and you got to do right. it fast. Right. You know, and right. it costs you a lot more time and a lot more money. 
Right. So that's that's my thought process. So in order to discuss the trickle-up theory, the trickle-up theory really encompasses solving a lot of our woes. Now, uh, your listeners may be familiar with the more common adage, the trickle-down theory. So okay. in order to explain the trickle-up theory, I have to explain the trickle-down theory first. Now, trickle-down is basically a theory. It's called Reaganomics. Now, I loved Ronald Reagan. He was great for his time, um, you know, but, you know, his time has passed. And we live in a different world today than we lived in his time. So the trickle-down theory basically goes like this. <clears throat> Let's give tax breaks to the wealthy in business in the hopes that they will make more money. So if they're making more money, that they can hire more people. And by hiring more people, they'll reduce unemployment. Um, now, of course, we all know the trickle-down theory doesn't work. Um, you know, you give tax breaks to the rich, and it's supposed to help your kid pay for his college education. Well, it doesn't work. Your, your kid just spent $50,000 for or your parents spent $50,000 for a kid's college education. The kid gets out of school, and he's $50,000 in debt, and he can't find a job. Right. Trickle-down economics does not work. Giving to the rich in the hopes that it trickles down to the poor little old American folk like you and me, it just mm-hmm. doesn't work. Okay? So the rich get the breaks, and the poor people suffer. So I do what's called the trickle-up theory. The trickle-up theory starts at the weakest link, the bottom ladders, and it trickles up. So, for example, let's say you have a 35-year-old who's collecting welfare, food stamps, HUD HUD allowances, uh, utility bill help. You know, that costs a couple thousand dollars a month. Now, if you take that person... All right, and if you take that person through the, his life from 35 to 65, I'm not even going 18, I'm just saying 35, um, America, states, and the federal government will spend over $800,000 on entitlements for this person just to get to 65. And then, of course, they get Social Security afterwards. So that's a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Now, what, ha- what happens if we turn around and we say, all right, instead of spending $800,000, we're going to say to you, we're going to make you responsible for yourself. We're going to, but this time we're going to actually provide you a true and real opportunity to do it. So we're going to say to the guy who didn't graduate from high school, listen, we're going to give you your entitlements. You can still collect your welfare, your food stamps, and your HUD allowances and everything else, but you have to go and get your GED, and you have to do it within this certain time frame. You have mm-hmm. to do it. If you choose not to do it, we're cutting you off. Okay? So mm-hmm. you're giving them a choice. We're saying we'll pay for you to go through this, and we'll even pay for the GED. So you, you don't have to spend a dime. So now you've got a guy who gets a GED. So now you say to the guy, listen, a GED is great. That might get you a blue-collar job, but not really the best blue-collar job or you want to aspire to be a little bit more. And we believe in America that everybody should be college-educated. So what we're going to tell you is now we're going to, we're going to force you. We're going to say you have to go for two years to either a vocational school to learn a trade or to a community college to get an associate's degree. Now, you have to do it. Now, if you don't do it, you're getting cut off. There will be no right. more welfare. There will be no more social you know, social benefits for you. But we're going to pay for it. So we'll pay for your vocational education 100%. We'll pay for your community college for two years 100%. Now, let's say you got a guy who decides he's going to do this program, he goes through it, because now he's provided an opportunity. And two years after vocational school, he comes out to be a carpenter. All right? Mm-hmm. So now, if he's a carpenter or an electrician or a plumber, now we all know electricians and plumbers 
they rake us over the coals. I mean, they make a lot of money, so sure. and it's a great trade. So now let's mm-hmm. say we got a guy who's an electrician, and he goes out and he can finally go get a job. Well, that job's going to pay him twenty-five, thirty-five thousand a year to start. So now, if this guy is getting twenty-five or thirty-five thousand a year, he's off of entitlements. But now that he's making money and he's got a job, that means he's paying taxes. So if he's paying taxes, doesn't that help the government's woes in all of our yeah. debt? Okay. Yeah. So so now we've got a guy paying taxes. Now, the company he works for has to match those taxes. So now we're getting a double whammy benefit for the federal government to help reduce our deficit because we've got a company contributing the taxes and we have him paying the taxes. Now, on top of that, if the guy's making $30,000 a year, what is he doing with that money? What, is pe- what do people do with their money? Well, they, you buy things. You buy things. You, you spend like. it. Mm-hmm. Exactly. But who do they spend that money on? What do they buy? Businesses, businesses that, different types of products. Absolutely. They can buy that nice shirt. They can go out to dinner once in a while. It helps the 90% of the small businesses out there because now you have a member of society who is working and consuming products. So now right. if they're buying products from my business. Then aren't my profits going up? Yep. yep. Okay, well, if my profits are going up and I've got more people buying, that means I have to produce more. Now, if I have to produce more, then that means that I have to hire more people to produce it. All right? And it's just this evolutionary circle that just builds upon itself. But what's really nice about this is now you've just, you know, you get, you, you've, imagine doing this on a grand scale, putting 10, 20 million people to work. Uh, and that's just the people who are unemployed. Imagine putting 40 to 50 million people to work who are also on entitlement programs who can work. So now you've got 40 million Americans who are now educated, can get into the workforce and actually work. Now they're consuming more, so they're spending more. So small business is making more. The small business has to pay taxes on their profits, but they also have to hire more people to produce it. And now you have business making money, and if business is making money and it trickles up, then the CEO can take a $10 million bonus and nobody would mind because everybody has a job, because everybody's working. All right? And it can trickle up. And now you've taken a whole nation out of poverty, and you've got a working nation. You know, and it also helps alleviate America's deficits. Our deficits are huge. You know, and we need to fix it. And the only way to fix it is to collect taxes. You know, and we need to pay taxes because, you know what, I like it that I have the United States Air Force protecting me. You know, I really don't want anyone coming to my land and blowing up the World Trade Centers again. Um, You know, I like to live, and I'd like my family to live. Uh, I like the roads that I drive on. I love the fact that I can call 911 and have fire or police or ambulance come here within minutes and save my life or my property. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, and in order to do that, you have to pay for these things. So That's right. using the tr- using the trickle-up theory, we start at the bottom of the ladder, and we give everybody a true and real viable chance to succeed by giving them the option and saying, here you go, here's the bone, we're going to throw it to you. All right, all you got to do is start chomping on it. And if you start chomping on it, you're going to see how tasty that bone is. Because you know what the bottom line is? You never know how good the chocolate pudding is going to taste until you taste it. So, so, but someone's got to put the chocolate pudding in front of you, and someone's got to yep. give you the incentive to eat it. Exactly. So that's basically what the trickle-up theory is. And if we did that, we would take our nation out of national debt. 
We would be employing millions upon millions of people. And there are other things that you have to do in order to do that. Like I said, you know, one of the big things in my book is we need to start becoming the producers of our own wares. We need to, you know, start making our own stuff. You know, because right. if we're making our own stuff, well, we've got to employ people to make it. But everybody says, oh, gosh, no, it's too expensive to hire American workers. But the thing is, is yes, it's going to be expensive to hire American workers. But too bad. Corporations can afford it. When General Motors or General Electric for multiple years in a row ends up paying not a single penny in federal taxes on tens of billions of dollars of profits, that makes me sick. It just nauseates me. So business does need to step up to the plate. Business needs to make their contribution because, you know what, I don't care if you're the owner of Walmart. I don't care if you're Donald Trump. I don't care how many business. I don't care what you own. If a bomb is dropped in America today, it's done. Your Sears Tower is gone. It's disappeared. The World Trade Center is gone, disappeared. They are no right. more. You know, you'll be dead because we won't be surviving. So we have to do this for our survival if we want our nation to, to succeed. But people need to work and earn and help make it succeed. Absolutely. Because, you know, the, remember I told you, you know, Camden is, you know, a few miles away from me. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, they're my they're my brothers and sisters too, and it pains me to see anyone have to live in poverty. You know, I live in an apartment. I don't even own my own house. I own a business and I live above my business, but I'm working mm-hmm. hard. You right. know, and and you know, but I don't want to see anybody like that. It's just so unnecessary. We sit there, we give hundreds of millions of dollars to the Haiti victims. Where's our hundreds of millions of dollars to the to to lift people up in America? Americans are so loving. We are we are a loving, generous people. We help everybody in the world. The only people we don't help is ourselves. And how can you help anybody first if you don't help yourself first? It's not about being selfish or greedy. It's about saying, "Hey, you're my brother. You're my sister. You're my mother. You're my father. We need to help our people first." And say to the world, listen, we're taking a break, we're here, we're going to try to help you too, but you know what, we have some problems we need to fix and we're going to start focusing on our own problems. Because then when you show the world that America becomes a strong nation again, let me tell you something, now you're going to show true democracy to the world. You're going to want to make countries who don't have democracies, the people are going to want to have democracies because they're going to look and say, wow, look at that America, it's so awesome. I don't want to go over to France where when I get off the plane, the French are like, oh, that arrogant American. You right, know? right, right. And, uh, <laughs> oh, American is not that great. You know, well, it isn't that great. When France has the number one health care system in the world and we have, like, the number 38th, I'm sorry, that's just a problem for me. Right, so right. the trickle-up theory benefits everybody. It benefits the poor. It benefits the middle class. And it benefits the wealthy. It trickles up from the bottom all the way up to the top. And that's my no, I think it's, theory. I know, I love it. I think it's a it's a great theory and it just makes as you said, total sense and if you have common sense you can you can see how it does. Um and what I wanted to I mean, because I usually do about an hour. So, you know, we definitely want to promote the book and people you gotta check out his book because that's just one of many different issues and topics that Michael talks about in and again it's it's really amazing and just really kinda hits home and makes sense too. The average Joe. Um, 
where do you see yourself, Michael, in terms of any prospects in terms of running again? I mean, what is where are you currently standing with that? Well, um, you hit the nail on the head when you did the opening show. I would love to run for president of the United States. I think if the American people heard my voice, and if you really want to hear my voice, I'll give you a quick way to do it. Go to yeah, YouTube. Get the plug. Get, go to YouTube. Type my last name. My last name's not the easiest name in the world, but L A T I G O N A. That's Latigona. That's a good Italian name, but L A T I G O N A. Type that into Yahoo's or uh, YouTube search, and you're going to see a speech I have in front of Congress. It's a 16-minute speech, and basically what it is is, is if you as an average American had an opportunity to tell Congress anything in the world, what would you tell them as an average American? Well, that's a 16-minute speech in front of Congress. It's my, uh, it's my response to the state of our union, if you will. Uh, and it's exactly what I think average Americans would like to tell Congress. Uh, and it's pretty poignant. Um, you know, I'm not very, uh, very polite to the, 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 the speech. Uh, I'm very professional, but I tell Congress the way it is. Um, <clears throat> so uh, uh, besides running for president, if I could absolutely do it, um, I think another way to educate Americans in, in a way that kind of coincides with this book is I would love to do a TV series on this book. Okay. All right. Picture, okay. picture if you will, and it could be a, there could be a lot of comedy in this too, but it, you know a lot of seriousness. A registered nurse from a small town writes this book about being president of the United States, uh, about uniting a nation. Uh, we're all Americans first. Um, the series starts with this guy who gets thrust into running for president. He's not a Democrat or a Republican, but he's got to go up against these two political parties, but he has the people behind him. The people recognize that this guy can't be bought and sold for a vote. The people recognize his common sense solutions, and they say, we're going to support this guy. So think of all the nastiness in the first season of having to run a campaign, uh, having to, you know, seeing what the Republicans and Democrats are going to do, spending two, three, four billion dollars on these presidential campaigns, and this right. guy comes out and you know, he comes out of nowhere, and bam, season ender, he wins the presidency. Now think season two, think West Wing on steroids. Here you got this guy who's never <laughs> been in the White House before. I mean, there could be a lot of comedy with this too. So, right. but you know, he, you know, now he's president. What's he going to do with it? You know, how is he going to unite both chambers of our of Congress? How is he going to bring people together and actually achieve the goals? And there could be assassination plots. There, could, you know, you talk about big business and the greed, and you can talk about the speaker and and you know the leaders of the house. And uh, I mean, there's just so many different things that you can build off of this and do it as a multi-season kind of TV show. Uh, I would love to do that. And then the other thing that I would like to do is I would definitely like to have an hour-long talk show called Common Sense with Michael Latigona so that I can talk some common sense with people, you know, and just show them there are, are better ways to do things um, and, and actually have people participate in the show. You know, That's people amazing. can... Yeah. That sounds like a you great know, idea. I mean, both of them are just great ideas. I could see both of them happening, Michael. I mean, you should start your own podcast. There you go. That's that's one well, way. Well, you of. know, <laughs> well, you never know. And the thing is, you know what? You know what would be the funnest thing for me to do is that, that? if I was on, let's say, that hour talk show, you know, I would love to bring on a Harry Reid or a John Boehner or any politician and let them sit and talk common sense with me. They would be blubbering fools. 
because be awesome. they wouldn't know <laughs> they wouldn't know how to deal with me. They you know and and they just wouldn't know how because you know common sense. You're not going to argue it. You know, hey, Senator, listen, you just took a million dollars from General Motors. Um, tell me that bailout money you weren't giving them wasn't a little payoff, uh, you know, to help them out because they just gave you a million dollars for your campaign. Come on, Senator. Now, common sense. Let's talk about it. You right, know, right, right. They wouldn't know how to address it. They wouldn't know how to deal with it. You know, common sense says, you know, uh, United States Senator, you don't go into an airport bathroom and try to have sex with some stranger and then get prosecuted for it. You know, common sense says don't have sex with your aides, which has happened how many times to our U.S. senators and congresspeople in the last five years alone? How many right. sex scandals? Right. You know, hey, Anthony Weiner, I'm sorry. Uh, you know, it's uh, you don't go posting pictures of your wiener. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're a United States well, congressman, for goodness sake. Wait, 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 wait. No, but wait, Mike, he didn't mean to do it by mistake. He meant to send it to one person, but he hit, his, hit the wrong button. <laughs> Oh, absolutely. But, you know, I always, you know, wake up and take my cell phone and say, let me take a picture of my crotch and just see what it looks like. You know, I take a shower every day. I look in the mirror. I I don't need to see any more. (laughs) You know, and the fact that the guy's name is Wiener, I'm sorry, you just were asking for trouble there. Right. Uh, Oh, what a disaster. (laughs) It was. But, you know, it it goes to show, you know, I mean, really, is that what we have to be proud of? Is that the kind of leadership we have to be proud of? I mean, I I cannot call these people our leaders. I cannot say that they represent America and my brothers and my sisters. And every one of your listeners absolutely knows that, you know. So I would love it for them to start listening to common sense and realize, one, it can be done. And that's the biggest thing. People say, oh, no, you can't do this. You know how many people told me I couldn't run for governor? A lot. A lot. Oh, a lot. Even my mother for three months. Oh, no, no. What are you doing? You can't run for governor. You're crazy. You're crazy. And I said to her, Mom, why? Why can't I run for governor? No, no, you'll never do it. You're not even going to get on the ballot. Do you know when my mother changed her mind? When? When? She she went to the doctor's office, and the guy told her she needed a colonoscopy. So my mother has a lot of nurses as children, you know, whether daughter-in-laws or sons or whatever. Okay. And um, okay. we always tell her, if you're going to have a procedure, have it done in the hospital. Don't go to an outpatient center, because if they tear open your, your colon, then you've got to get it in an ambulance, you've got to go to the hospital, and then have emergency surgery. So why not just be in the facility so that you can be protected if something happens? You're right there. Okay. So she says to the, so she says to the doctor, oh, no, doctor, listen. Um, uh, you know, my children are nurses, and I have to have it done at the hospital. They always tell me, go to the facility itself, and blah, blah, blah. And the doctor says, oh, well, who are your children that are nurses? And my mother mentions uh, one of my sister-in-laws, and the doctor stops her, and he says, wait a second. Hmm, do you have someone in your family that's running for governor? Oh, well, my mother, who is Jewish, Oh, that's my baby. Oh, you know, and she got so excited, she stopped the doctor in the middle of the examination to call me on her cell phone to tell me how excited this doctor was that he's going to vote for me, and he's bookmarked, and then I'm bookmarked on his webpage. You know, so from that day forward, all of a sudden, now I'm the son that's running for governor. Nice. You know? Nice. But it it took her something like that to believe it. And, you know, I want Americans to know that we can do it. If, if you know, listen, a regular Jane or Joe could become president if you would believe that that person 
could, would do the job because you know what? It's not about what you see in the papers today. Romney got $110 million this month while Obama only got $75 million this month in campaign contributions. Well, who do you think is giving them that money? Because it ain't me. Right. You know, I, my my dollar's tight right now, so I'm not giving <laughs> that $5. But, you know, it's not about the money, it's about the vote. And if people would learn to say, I'm not a Democrat, I'm not a Republican, but this guy makes common sense. And if I vote for him, then the Electoral College has to vote for him, and he would become President of the United States. And you know what? It could be the cheapest campaign in the nation. Because well, you don't need to you don't need to spend any money. It's about the vote, right? And and people need to believe that it can happen. Everybody says, oh, oh, the third party candidates they can't get up there. And, well, they can't get up there because Americans won't believe they can get up there. You know. And again, right. just the the mere fact of saying a party, a third party, a tea party, you're you're segregating yourselves before you even start. I'm an American. And if you want to vote for an American, just click that lever, and I would become president. It's that simple. And you could do that. Americans could do that. Every American across this nation can get behind one person and say, you know, I'm voting for this guy. And there's nothing the Electoral College is going to be able to do about it because they're going to have to vote for the guy that you vote for. And it could easily be done. But America needs to believe it can be done. America needs Americans need to be shown how to do it. Americans need to be given direction and told, listen, this is the directions. This is A, B, C, and D. If you do A, B, C, and D, then we will have this, we will have that, we will have this, we will have that. It's that simple. We just got to get Americans to believe that. You That's know? right. Because it is That's the truth. Right. So with that being said, I mean, you've done an amazing job, Michael, and I really appreciate you coming on. And uh, please, you know, plug your book, let people know where they can find it, plug your YouTube video again, if you're on Twitter, Facebook, whatever you want to uh, have people uh, contact you through. Oh, excellent. Uh, like I said, you can contact, you can buy the book through if I were president of the USA.com. Uh, on that website, you can also see the YouTube video of me speaking in front of Congress. Uh, so you can look at it through there. You can Facebook me at If I Were President of the USA, um, and certainly do that. And uh, Twitter at If I Were POTUS, P-O-T-U-S, uh, which stands for President of the United States. Uh, Kerry, I can't. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I can't thank you enough. This was a great conversation. I just, I, I'm really privileged and honored to be able to come onto your show uh, and present some of my ideas. And I think, you know, you, I think you, from talking with you, you are certainly going to go far. I, I, you know, I wish you Godspeed and the best of everything. <laughs> thank um, you. Oh, uh, you're welcome. And and again, I'm truly blessed to even have the opportunity to come onto your show tonight. Yeah, no, it's been great, Michael, and we'll keep in touch off the air, too, and it was, a, it was a pleasure having you on. I think your ideas are great, and I think, like you said, it's all a matter of people just voting the right person in, and, you know, you're there. It's just a matter, of, like you said, of getting everyone on your side to get you to that next step, and I think with the hard work and dedication, like you said, you will, you will for sure, even if you don't be president, maybe you'll be governor soon or, you know, some other type of uh, leader, but you're definitely a leader now, and uh, you're definitely someone with amazing ideas that we need to uh, bring out more and get you get you out there. Oh, thank you, Carrie, so much. <laughs> I really appreciate those kind words. All right, absolutely. And yep. just as a you know, as a side note, the podcast will be available. So you know, anyone who tuned in late or couldn't catch it tonight, uh, you'll be able to download it, stream it, um, whatever you'd like to do once the show is uh, complete. Excellent. All right. 
Yes, Carrie, thank you so much again, and You're God welcome, bless. Michael. And we'll talk soon. Okay, great. Thank you. You too. Have a great night. You too now. Bye-bye. Right. Take care. Bye. All right, everyone. Again, that was Michael Latagona. Please check out his book, If I Were President of the USA, From an Average American Joe. Check it out at Amazon.com. And as he said, if you type his name into YouTube, you can see his 16-minute speech in front of Congress. It is very interesting. It's very, very good. So uh, I recommend you check him out. He's got some great ideas. And, you know, it is about common sense. And if you look at this book, um, I'm a manager and in a director type of position. And, I mean, that's really how I approach my job in corrections is really through using common sense and good management skills and uh, analytical thinking and all that stuff can come together, like he said, in so many different areas, whether it's, you know, being a carpenter or being the president of the United States. So, everyone, again, thank you for tuning in tonight. Um, please follow me on Twitter at Carrie Edelman. If you follow me, I will follow you. Also, you can befriend me on Facebook. I have uh, two personal pages. I maxed out one, so I started a second one. The Carrie Edelman Show on Facebook, please become a fan. You can check out upcoming events and uh, different interviews that I have coming on my show. My music page is Carrie Edelman on Facebook. I have a music, musician fan page, and I'm going to play Sinking In tonight off of my album, Leave It All Behind, which you can find again on iTunes by searching Carrie Edelman if you are interested. So next week, let me see who we have coming on next week because it's been a long week. And so let me look at my calendar here. Actually, next week is going to be, we're going to go back to music. Uh, we have next week coming on is a guitarist virtuoso named, named Xander Demos, um, X-A-N-D-E-R-D-E-M-O-S. And he's an amazing guitarist. I mean, this guy is a phenomenon. And he's going to come on next week, and we're going to talk about uh, his career and uh, his new album that he has coming out. So please tune in on the 14th at 8 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time. Also, please check out any of the podcasts. There's, again, been so many amazing people on this show, comedians, musicians, filmmakers, authors. The list goes on and on. So find your favorite comedian or musician. Uh, have had so many amazing bands and uh, really top-notch comedians and top-notch entertainers. So check it out. Download one of the shows and stream it. Um, and thank you again for the support. Really appreciate it. And if anyone's interested in becoming a guest, you can email me at um, carrieedelman at hotmail.com. So here's my song, Sinking In, and we will be back next week at 8 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time with Xander Demos. Thanks again, and have a great night.
Yeah. 